0: Organic free range HTML, wild freshwater CSS, and 21
1: day mature JavaScript. This is not just a podcast.
0: This is smashing. It's smashing.
2: episode of the Smashing Podcast, we ask what's the key to a great keyboard? Is this essential part of our daily toolkit easily overlooked? It talks to expert Marcin Wihari to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes brand new articles to the website throughout your working week? There's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help.
0: It's your weekly update.
2: Designers often complain about the quality of feedback they get from senior stakeholders without realizing it's usually because of the way they initially have framed the request. In How Designers Should Ask For and Receive High-Quality Feedback, Andy Budd shares a better way of requesting feedback. Rather than sharing a linear case study that explains every design revision, the first thing to do would be to better frame the problem. Discovering primitive objects in JavaScript is the subject of an article by Kirill Mishkin. In trying to rewrite parts of a patchy codebase, Kirill rediscovered for himself the power of JavaScript objects. He kept returning again and again to a pattern that kept the code clear and removed unnecessary operations. Bringing regular objects closer to primitive values made a difference. That's how primitive objects were discovered. In this first part, you'll see how objects and primitive values differ and how to bring them closer. Kiara Aliotta brings us five steps to design your product with powerful storytelling. Storytelling is more than just another business buzzword. Storytelling is an exciting and strategic approach with rules and clear principles that, when used well, can help brands stand out from the crowd with a clear message and a user-centric approach. Through the design of the landing page for Smashing's Smart Interface Design Patterns course, Kiara introduces us to five steps of digital storytelling that lead to a successful and memorable user experience. The SVG animate motion element provides a way to define how an element moves along a motion path. In Putting Gears in Motion, Animating Cars with HTML and SVG, Paul Scanlon shares an idea how to use this technique by animating race cars in an infinite loop as easy as one, two, three. Oh yeah! And in a step-by-step guide to building accessible carousels, Sonja Weckenmann reflects that most carousels come along with usability and accessibility issues. To avoid these issues, this article addresses step-by-step design considerations to make, as well as semantic requirements for carousels to be accessible. With its help, you can establish an in-depth understanding of the implementation of a carousel and its impact on your users. And that is your weekly update.
1: Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com articles.
0: He's a great designer, excellent writer, and wonderful engineer. Originally from Szczecin, Poland, he used to work as a design lead and a typographer at Medium. He was a fellow of Code of America and a UX designer at Google, working with the Chrome, Search, and Homepage Doodle teams. He now works as a design manager and editor design lead at Figma in San Francisco. He studied at West Pomeranian University in Chechen and completed his doctoral in human-computer interaction in Eindhoven, Netherlands and also in Amsterdam. Apparently, he speaks at least, well, less from what we know, six languages, uh, including Polish, Dutch and a little bit of English. Now, he is extremely obsessed with many things, but most notably link underlines, typesetting, fonts, and, guess what, typewriters. So, we know he's a great designer with a keen eye for typography. But did you know that Marcin is a former Polish handball goalkeeper, and after hours he likes to force his friends to watch sneakers over and over and over and over again? It's a Groundhog Day all over again. And he managed to put Pac-Man on Google's homepage. My smashing friends, please welcome Marcin Ihari. Hello, Marcin. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm smashing, but uh, the handball
1: player is <laughs> that was funny. There's a there's a guy whose name exactly like me who's a handball player. Oh, I thought it's you, Marcin. This is this is this could not be a coincidence. It looks he looks like you. I do looks like me. Um. It's funny because I'm sort of a little sour because he has a Wikipedia entry and I don't. But also there are these uh, cool YouTube videos of people chanting his name, like Machin Vihar, and I sometimes play them and pretend that that's me. But
0: but I'm sure that our wonderful listening listeners uh, who are listening to this recording right now, they'll be more than inspired and excited to create a Wikipedia page for you. You just need to tell us, about your story and you know, all the things that typically go on a wikipedia page right we went out to wikipedia learns about this collusion here <laughs> don't, that's I don't okay like. i think we're all safe here we have wonderful friendly people listening to us uh, martin it's such a pleasure to see you again i mean we haven't seen each other for i don't know like what a lot of a long time uh you spoke at smashing coms uh, a while back as well and it's such a pleasure you never changed, do you like uh, you, you never change. Um, one thing that really excites me about you is that you are really obsessed with things, but in a good way. I mean, not in a bad way, right? In yeah. a good ways. And I'm, and I'm wondering, maybe it would be a good start just for you to briefly share your story. Like, where did it come to be? Did you want to become a web designer when you were growing up? Oh, that's a great question. I, uh, I've
1: had this. So, the answer is probably no, in as much as. Web design didn't exist when I was going. Exactly. Up. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, the I, I, I for for kind of like an aspiring little nerd, I, I got pretty lucky because my dad had this sort of dream job at the moment, which was repairing arcade games and like pinball machines. And you know, it, it, it was it, it's fun because they're you know it's obviously games, right? Like it, 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 it's nice. Uh, to be able to go into the arcade and play for free in you know like early 90s or mid 90s but it's also fun because you can kind of like open them up and see how they're built and that i think was what got me hooked into like oh this fun was designed or made by somebody and you can you know look up all of the assets you can open the pinball machine and poke your finger at things and which is of course what you did I did. Yeah. It's actually, I highly recommend it. If you have like a pinball machine next to you, ask them to open it up and show you there's so much under the the, the, the play field. But, and that sort of led eventually to, you know, computers and kind of programming. and And I've, I think as many people, probably I felt like I was just like a bad programmer who got distracted by fonts and colors and recreating ui elements and 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 eventually much later i learned this is actually something like what i've been doing it's called ux design and or interaction design or whatever you want to call it and and that became um kind of my thing but not before i actually invested in lot of like becoming a programmer because i thought that's like the closest to where i was and so I backed into the, you know, there's like the classic, like, should designers code question, which we, we shouldn't really talk about it because it's unanswerable, but <laughs> I kind of walked myself back into it by accident, right? Like I, I was a programmer first and I kind of became a um, a designer and, and with all of this programming baggage, which actually ended up being kind of at least useful in my line of
0: work. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, you know, one thing that's really interests me uh, most of the time is that you know, I had a very similar story as well when I was growing up, because I remember there was no thing like, you know, be, you know becoming a web designer. You just do some web stuff and then you kind of webmaster in a way, right? Um And one thing that I noticed, um, many of my friends who were kind of moving into design and like this web thing, right? They came from everywhere. They were doing all different things. Some of them were... building glasses the others would be architects the others would be writers and it's like it was this incredible moment of almost a wave a very strong wave of just people from all all over the place coming in and it felt like you are more like you're just becoming something new something entirely new so it's like you used to be that person then you're becoming a new person do you feel and this is kind of the this moment of transformation at least this is how i experienced it did you feel the same way like you've become somebody else over time or you just you just grew naturally into this role being interested in everything digital and you know obviously we'll talk about also uh, some of the technology like ancient or I would say uh, <laughs> not ancient maybe but vintage technology. So I'm really wondering just just what brought you to that specific place. You could be doing so many things not just programming not just design, right? There are all the things. Uh it's it's a great question, and it's something I,
1: you know, I've obviously been thinking a lot about because it's a tension between two two things, right? One is like have having a plan, right? Like I want to become this person. I want to do those things. I want to invest in that, which you can and probably should have to some extent. Um, but I think more of my career has been like reflection on what Things meant to me, and what excited me, and what uh, what I gravitated to, and seeing what more I can do with it, and how I can connect it to other things. Like to give you a specific example, you know, I joined Medium back in a day because um, it just seemed like extraordinarily cool, and you know, huge um, kind of focus on craft, a small team, a, a a very like kind of beautiful but also meaningful product that kind of helped people write, which felt important to me, always, like, felt important to me. But uh, in the process of it, I, I started writing more and more in a different way. And I think, like, Medium was actually kind of I- important for me. You, you joked about me knowing six languages, uh, which, you know, I only kind of know two very well and a few, like, poorly. But at that, at that point in my life, I still wasn't really sure if I can write in English because my original language is Polish. And Medium got me over that hump, right? It got me comfortable with English enough. And then I started writing about this typewriter stuff and people started reacting to it. And at some point I was like, I connected these three things. One was, I've always wanted to write a book because my mom was a librarian and I thought books is like the biggest thing you can do in your life, right? If you write a book, you paid your dues (laughs) on this planet. And then I crossed some sort of a threshold where I could do it in English. I felt for the first time like English is my language. And then I found a thing to write about completely by accident, right? So I think I think for me it's like I've never really felt like I there was like an inflection point that I became like a new person, but like in hindsight, I always kind of like look at those connecting things and 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 seeing like oh should I invest more in typography because I seem to be really into fonts but I didn't know I was right, right. or I don't know maybe at some point pinballs are going to be back and i will be like the pinball guy <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that's probably not gonna happen but that's kind of like often how i thought about it right like think a little bit about like what you want to do but also like connect
0: the things that you already have at least work for me yeah i mean um one one other thing that really interests me is that we all get super excited about technology we're all uh uh, almost possessed, uh, or obsessed, I would say, uh, by this notion: oh, we can do things faster, and we can do things better. And what I learned is that although we try to make things faster and we try to make things better, uh, the humanity is still incredibly busy. It's like we're doing. We, we used to think that technology is going to help us, and we're going to be uh, doing less, and we're going to be just a little bit more relaxed in life. But it seems like we're doing more and more and more with that technology, right? But what I really like, and what really gives me a little bit of fascination, I guess, is that you are always looking back. You're almost obsessed with old technology. Like, not necessarily, I mean, probably also with new technology, maybe maybe I'm wrong here. But I'm wondering, yeah. is something wrong with modern technology that you are almost like, spending most of your time with the old one? <laughs> what is in... Yeah, I mean, there's always something wrong with technology, right? Like,
1: I, I-, I think we go through these cycles where we... Um, we get excited and then we re evaluated, it, right? We, we we went through, I think crypto just went through this phase. Um, I think, you know, I, I mean, honestly, as much as I think you and I both love the web, there are probably some moments where we're like, oh, was this good for all of us? Or did it create some challenges, right? Um, but, you know, like, I don't think Tim Berners-Lee is just like universally happy with with what, what came of web. But, um, no, I, I think generally, like, I... I can't say like the old, I want to actually very specifically avoid like, you know, they don't make them like they used to kind of line of thinking because I don't think it's particularly helpful. Um, I think for me, a lot of it is about sort of connecting the past into the future and kind of remixing it. And even in my like, literally this week at my work, I will probably use some things that I learned in my research for the book about, you know, the keyboards, right. um, because keyboards are still around. And typography is the same, right? Typography kind of like has all of these waves and existed for hundreds of years. And and you can like grab things from the past and you have to be careful because nostalgia is incredibly powerful, but like not always useful. Um, um, and you can see sort of like what still makes sense and what can learn from, from the past and what you can throw away. Or what needs to be revisited, uh, because there's again a lot of baggage there. Uh, I don't know how much. I was just thinking about this. Uh, do you know Playdate, the the panic, like little game machine? Yeah, with a crank? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. So, like I've, you know, they made it. I think last year, right? It sort of got got shipped it exactly the you know pandemic time, so it slowed them down. Right. But it's it's this beautiful little device that's. What I like to, you know, it's a handheld device with games with a monochrome screen and this kind of strange user interface. But what I really like about it, as as a sort of as a as a statement, is that it it tries to like negotiate with nostalgia, right? It's not just like an emulator of an old game. It's more or so sort of looking at the past and saying what of those things that we moved on from were actually interesting and better, right? Maybe the limitations of a monochromatic screen with like fat pixels is something interesting for creativity, right? Maybe a device that's sort of small and dedicated to one thing, it's great, right? And we kind of lost it over the years, but they also, you know, but I also say like, we want internet connectivity. We want like a really nice metal device that feels great. It's sort of this, this figuring out like what, how to recombine those things and i think that's that's ultimately like very important to me That was the same story with like underlines at medium it wasn't that let's be forever you know indebted to the gods of typography from 200 years ago who designed a perfect underline because that's really not that exciting i mean it is from the craft perspective but it was really interesting is, like how do we make links that look beautiful because then you want to link to more things and yeah, think linking yeah. to more things is just like a very very powerful thing that you can do
0: um and a very unique thing that we can do in interactive media as well right
1: um, yeah yeah and 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 i you know I, I was inspired by just people who write in a way that that's what i that's what i miss sometimes over like writing for paper quote unquote that you cannot link to things because that's just like you know I, well I, you have I footnotes yeah, yeah, but you you cannot... Do you remember like John Syracuse's macOS macOS 10 reviews? Uh, they were on Ars Technica for like many, many years. Every time you knew Mac OS yeah, yeah, 10. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. And he linked all over the place.
0: And it was just genuinely inspiring how much it changed the way you could read actively, you know. Yeah, but do you think, Marcel, I'm, I mean, I, I kind of keep coming back to this actually, like for the last couple of weeks... Somehow, I remember vividly this notion of imperfection when I was growing up. So I assume that we have a similar age. And I I remember vividly all these TV shows and the conversations and, you know, the broken, semi-broken internet connection and, you know, pretty bad phones and all all these things. And it it felt so human to me somehow like oh of course this thing is broken and that's fine and i feel like this this moments of almost serendipity i guess i mean i'm not trying to be nostalgic here just for the sake of being nostalgic but i have this feeling that maybe we are we have too much of what we actually want these days in mm-hmm. terms of technology so you can watch anything you want like when, uh, with a click on a button there is this notion of you don't have to go anywhere like everything is right here but then, yeah. you know, I kind of like this moment. I, I I watched this, one of the silly 90s movies, and there was this moment where you would go to this VHS store and you would pick up the VHS tape and you would have an endless conversation with your friends about what are we going to watch without actually watching a trailer of it, kind of imagining yeah. what it's going to be, right? And I feel like, oh, wow, this is... We, I don't have that experience anymore. We just, you know, pick something based on IMDb score and call it a day. Yeah, I think the...
1: I think we are kind of figuring out what this sort of abundance of of, of things means to us. Uh, I think there's like a parallel argument you could make, and I think some people made that, for example, Twitter with its sort of virality and, and outrage and all of that is just an expression of like, we were never meant to be connected to so many people so intimately. Like, that's just like not how we wired. Like The Dunbar the number, number exists for a reason. and And I think...
0: Hopefully we'll figure it out. I don't know. I, I'm very optimistic about that. I'm, I've always been. So
1: yeah, yeah. I, I think you know you can see sort of like even in the wake of like Twitter news, people trying to think. Oh, you know, maybe maybe the sort of small curated set of blogs that I follow is actually like a little bit more human, like you say, right? Like 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 um may, maybe the Google Reader <laughs> was right all along. Um, and and so hopefully we we're you know we'll we'll adjust and figure out sort of what what is that sort of human moment on this scale of like zero to everything
0: you know right but i also think like the human technology i want to see more of like human human technology and i think that's in some way like the well actually this is a nice segue to your work like the figma editor where you see cursors coming in and moving around and doing things together I always feel just a little bit of excitement when I see cursors moving in and people coming in, in and you know in a feet more file and just play around and they do these things and sometimes it's broken and sometimes this isn't you know kind of um, I don't know sticky note or whatever it just fell, falls yeah. over the cliff or anything. But I like this notion. It seems like uh, this is this is really something that kind of really connects me um, with people all over the world. Just the cursors. Uh, maybe you could actually speak a little bit more about like what exactly you're working on. And then the Figma context, I know that you work on the the core, the heart, the classic Figma editor, uh, but specifically keyboard shortcuts, if I'm not mistaken.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sort of by, <laughs> I've become the keyboard person also at work because for obvious reasons, I guess. Uh, no, so I, you know, I joined Figma almost five years ago and, and originally I was one of the designers. Um, and, you know, I think... Working on like I work on the first version of Auto Layout and uh, a bunch of typography things, um, uh, selection colors, which which I, I think turn out well, uh, uh, and a, ba- a lot of smaller things because like I think we hope that Figma is also like a lot of smaller things done well, you know, and, and a lot of big things done well and I all coexist. Um, these days I'm I'm moved towards being a manager, so I'm basically trying to help like other people who are more talented than me to make those things happen, you know, they're working on like really, really impressive features that, 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 that you know, you might have seen already or you will mm-hmm. see later this year. Um, it's all in the, we call it the editor, right? The classic Figma. Um, and as for the keyboard, yeah, it's it's kind of funny how it's counting it's me in a way because um, Figma is kind of the productivity app. Right in a way, and and in some ways, it's like actually really old school. (laughs) Like if you think about it, like it's it's in a modern context, it's has multiplayer on the web, but it really has you know right click menus and and a bunch of this sort of like. uh, uh, And again, it's a negotiation with nostalgia in a way. It's like how how much of this is good, how much of this we need to revisit every day, and the same and the same with keyboard because keyboards are still like the the tool. If you want to do a lot of things really quickly, right? It's, it's kind of like miraculous how they were not built to be the tool originally, maybe. Um, but it's still like probably the best connection between your brain and the outside world is the keyboard. So. So we constantly, it's, 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 you know, where do we put this keyboard shortcuts? And there's so much history of keyboard shortcuts, right, that you have to negotiate. Uh, what do we do with this modifier key, which we constantly run off modifier keys. that's like
0: an ongoing joke. Oh, that's not surprising, even just how many keyboard shortcuts you already have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and how many things, you know, it's like the classic Doug Engelbart thing. It's just one of the most
1: beautiful things happens when you have one hand on the mouse and one hand on the keyboard, right? Like, Like, it's, 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 if you, if you watch somebody use Figma or other power tools really well, it, it's, it's incredible. And yet it's funny how like Doug Engelbart tried to invent his own device for the left hand or, you know, if you're right handed for the mouse, um, which was a key set, right? A spe- special device, but we don't have that. We use the keyboard with the other hand and the keyboard is like not really <laughs> designed that too well to do that because of, you know, you know, the combination of modifier keys and a mouse. So that's always... It's funny, yeah, my, my job is, uh, in a lot of ways, is the same sort of historical research as my book, except put in, you know, uh, put in a very different context. Right. right. Um, like, you know, Shift-A for auto layout, like, that's a shortcut we invented, right, in a way, yeah. like for FIGMA, oh, ah, right. that didn't exist. But we were just, first of all, we were lucky that it was free, <laughs> right? Uh, because I, A is already the artboard, Com- Command A is already Select All. And you could argue like Shift A is actually not that proper shortcut because shortcuts are not
0: supposed to start with Shift, except we all started doing this a few years ago because we ran out. <laughs> so I would love to be in that meeting where you're actually deciding, okay, so we need to find a new shortcut. Uh, so this is how we're going to do this. I'm just curious, like what the, like how do you even run that meeting? So let's explore all the options we have, or it needs to be connected in some way or the other, with what we're trying to do here.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny, like you don't want to be nosy. I mean, there, you know, <laughs> it's hard. I'm just gonna say it's really really hard because there's just so many limitations, and and you know that the, the I think the really hard part about keyboard shortcuts or anything revolving around motor memory is that you can't really negotiate it, right? Like, once a keyboard shortcut puts itself in your fingers, like, you, it's really hard to get it out of it.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: yeah. there's, there's There's this great research I learned of a long time ago, probably like a, a century ago, of they had a person who learned how to touch type,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then they... He moved on to do other things with his life. I think at this point it was still possible, like, not to touch a keyboard for years or decades so he touched type for a while on the typewriter and then for 25 years he did nothing you know he had a secretary who typed for him and they put him in front of the typewriter like 25 years since he last wrote and he just typed like it wasn't as fast as 25 years but it was it was sort of like miraculous how quickly he got back into typing really really well yeah um and then they did it again 25 years later
0: <laughs> oh that's quite so, an experiment right there
1: yeah there was sort of like a funny co- co- you know they just found this person and and you know because like things just ca- install themselves in the motor memory in a sort of like really beautiful ways in a way that's how we can walk right that's how we can chew gum that's how we can do all sorts of things and that's how you can type and and Uh, you you can like there's like for some of us not to make it very dark but like at some point in your life you might forget who you are but you will still be able to type because that's like a different part of your brain so if you are used to command s to save if you are used to command a to select all if you use command b to make something bold that's Non-negotiable, more or less, right? It's really hard to take that shortcut away and put something else in its place. So it's very easy to just keep adding shortcuts, but it also is tricky because there's only so many things. Yeah, keys because it's,
0: so it's wrong. Yeah.
1: Those so those Slack conversations, and I have some guidelines internally to Figma, but it's just really hard. Every time it's just like a really wrong conversation
0: where you feel like you cannot win, but you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, obviously, keyboards have been following you for a long time. And I uh, even heard rumors that you are working on a book around that, Uh, you know, started writing like, what, 16, uh, back in 2016, if not mistaken. And it's not just a book. From what I could tell, it's almost an epic monumental opus about keyboards, Uh, In three volumes, uh, beautiful slipcase, (laughs) 1,300 photographs, 42 chapters, 520 full-color photos, 37 Easter eggs, and four photos of keyboards using Comic Sans. Well, that must have taken quite some time. And you probably are a little bit, maybe you wouldn't mean that, a little bit obsessed with keyboards. So maybe you could tell us a bit more about how this all came to be and what should we be expecting in the book?
1: Yeah, so (laughs) it's... It started like I mentioned earlier, like I, I, I was at Medium and I, I think Medium offices used to have these, um, typewriter. They used to have rooms named after typewriters just because, you know, it's a publishing company. It's like kind of like a cute gimmick, but they also had like typewriters in those rooms as decoration. And I, you know, I, 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 I didn't care as much about keyboards before. Um, but. Uh, I started looking at those typewriters, and they all had like you know qwerty, but they have like a, interesting keys on the periphery, and they all kind of were a little bit different and I started sort of being curious about why you know and 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 you you mentioned this sort of obsession uh what was really interesting about keyboards for me is that the more I kept reading about them, the more there was like there there's this sort of fractal of of you know, for anything like let's say backspace, like I start looking in the backspace, and it's like, oh my god, it's like a whole set of stories just around this one key. And and I learned over the years that it's like you, not everything's as interesting, but a lot more things are more interesting than you think in general, right? Like just 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 once you, and and there was this. I, I think you get into this little, uh, you develop this sense of like, is this worth digging deeper? Like, and, and, you know, um, and, and and it felt like this. And so I started writing some medium posts and then people had like really nice reactions to them. I think I wrote one about the Turkish typewriter just because I somehow learned about it. <laughs> and I got messages from people in Turkey saying like, thank you, nobody appreciates this thing that's, that we have. Uh, and then I wrote something else about, I think typography and typewriters, right? Because that's like increasingly connected. And, and at some point I had this moment where i was like, wait, if I keep doing that, there's just like enough words for a book. There was like, almost like a numerical, um, approach. I was just like, I multiplied. I was like, oh, it's a book length. And of course the joke's on me because it ended up being like much more than I expected it Took a lot more time. Um, but yeah, I, w- I was talking to, to, uh, to Craig Mott, who's like a really good author and, 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 and just, just, just this like wonderfully creative person, um, and i think at some point he told me like if you want to write a book like i think you have to pick a subject that comes back to you even if you don't want it because you will need a lot of energy we need a lot of help you will need like something that will carry you when you're like in the darkest moment right and there will be dark moments and and i thought like oh the keyboard thing keeps coming back to me right i keep keep looking at it i keep researching i keep writing about it um and yeah that ended up being being very very helpful and and yeah the the I think the rest of it is just like yeah, I sort of approach it in a in, in this sort of semi obsessive way as I do, which maybe will one day lead to my demise of some sort because this is a lot of stuff. But yeah, it ended up being this sort of this. You, you mentioned like um, epic, right? And and maybe it is, but I also like very deliberately want to make it not how do I say it, like nerdy in all the right ways or mm-hmm, intimidating, mm-hmm. but like in a in a good way that sort of makes you want to read it because it's a lot of stuff, but it's also, I think, written, I hope in a very approachable way, you know, so you can, uh, you know, you can just get lost in some stories of various keys or typewriters or, or modern mechanical keyboards. I uh, can pick one chapter, uh, you can read it back, sort of front to back, uh, but also, there's like a, that's that's one thing I'm proud of. There's there is like, um, I think, yeah, I think you mentioned like 1,300 photos. I think most of them are full color, um, uh, and it's also just like you can just look at the book, right? Like you can. That, that's it's actually funny. Like you, you, I learned this somehow also through like giving talks at Smashing Conference, other conferences of how how you tell stories that are. Textual and visual at the same time. You know? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There's all these schools about like what do you put on your slides? Like, don't read of a slide, do this, don't do that. And I think a lot of them are kind of like, do whatever works for you, honestly. <laughs> like, you know, I saw people read from slides and I was engrossed. I saw people have no slides at all and it was great. Right. So so you you find your way, but I think the way I found was just like this rich tapestry of visuals, sometimes Ex- showing exactly what I'm talking about, sometimes showing something that's parallel, but I don't even acknowledge it. And I think it's actually like the book in many ways was inspired by like how I and other people give talks uh, where, where you have like a, your left brain engaged with this, your right brain engaged with this. And, and I hope it actually kind of counterintuitively helps you read the book more that it becomes by adding photos, it becomes less hard to go through because it's always like something to carry you um, uh, but yeah, you can, though, those photos are also like very deliberately chosen, not just so they're pretty, but they also like partake in telling the story.
0: And so did you design the book then as well? Uh, like, because it's a really beautiful design too.
1: Yeah, I did. And so th- there was a, you
0: know, early on, I was, There's another part of the
1: journey. And I think the explanation of why it took so long is that, you know, I originally thought I'm going to like have it published. Like, you know, many authors do. Um, and and I eventually like, and I actually thought, I don't want to self-publish it because that's, I mean, honestly, I thought that's just for losers, right? It's like for people who cannot get a contract or cannot get an agent. And I kind of went 180 over the first few years where I, you know, I talked to many people and they said, you know, self-publishing is actually really interesting in a way that you can make this book feel exactly like what you want. And there's there's no like, there's no shame in that anymore. I mean, there are bad self-published books, but there are also bad published. Like the the whole thing became much more flatter and much more actually complicated, right? Um, Kickstarter made possible for people to just make the books how they wanted. So, so in that way, like I, I decided to to do it that way, you know, to uh, to do it sort of on my own, and yeah, and and it's gonna. Kickstarter is actually coming soon in February. So if that works out, I think it's... Well, it looks
0: absolutely beautiful. I mean, the moment I uh, I saw it, I had to swipe through all the pictures and zoom in and zoom out to see everything. So it's really beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank Uh, you. So I'm very, very excited to see it coming uh, to fruition. That's great. Um, Well, actually, because in that research, like working and working on that book and looking at all these keyboards, I really have to ask at this point, what was actually the most remarkable uh typewriter or keyboard i think maybe keyboard would be more appropriate that you have discovered yeah. like the most uh unusual thing that you have seen so
1: yeah it's a lot right there's this there's, it's, it's really hard to choose this i i actually am, in the process of of making this book i i i i am amassed this collection of probably like 150 strange keyboards and there but it's like the the emphasis being strange, because um, there's a lot of strange stuff. And I love that, right? And there's a lot of it is in a book, photographed. But um, I think I'm actually going to go the other way, which is... So if you look at the history of keyboards, I I nominated five keyboards as being like the important keyboards, right? they're sort of like the milestones, right? The first one is the first QWERTY typewriter. Then there's the Underwood uh, number five, which is like the first hit like first typewriter hit like sort of like the iphone of its day mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Then there's this electric which is like sort of a beautiful kind of electric typewriter with a fond ball and just just reinvention of the of the typewriter then there's the model m one, no surprise here right the clicky keyboard from from mid 80s and then there's the iphone right i think the iphone just like changed so much how we think about typewriter sorry keyboards and uh, and um so all these five keyboards have like you know, centerfold in the book, they're they're treated very, very well. But I added one more, just personally, I added one more to that list, just like something that really excited me. So um, Selectric, which was this electric typewriter, came out in like, I think, 1961, very early 60s, and they kept um, uh, improving it. And in 19, I think, 73, they released... Correcting Selectric 2, which was like V3 kind of of the Selectric. And I actually rented it um, because I was interested in it. And, and it's really interesting because, you know, it's still a typewriter, right? It's, it's, you plug it to the wall. There's no electronics there at all. And yet it does, first of all, it feels amazing. Like, right? you know, there were people saying like, oh, Selectric was the best typewriter or the best keyboard I ever typed on. And I was just like, ugh whatever, right? You just like happened to be a teenager at the time and you just learn to love it because we all love everything that happened when we were teenagers, right?
0: right. We um, always associate kind of uh, our feelings or whatever we experienced at the time with the device, yeah. although it might be yeah. just the device. Yeah it's, yeah,
1: it's classic, right? Like, I'm not gonna deny it. But then, and then, you know, blah, whatever, nostalgia. And then I typed and I was like, oh my God, this is actually really nice feeling typewriter, right? It's like, it's, it doesn't it's a typewriter keyboard that feels like a computer keyboard which is kind of remarkable right like even making that happen but it also has like a lot of this really things that you would think only computers could have so it has like a little buffer when you press two keys Uh, it remembers the the second one right so you can overlap your strokes it has obviously the font ball where it can replace fonts easily and type and it has a bunch of other things including and this is what blew my mind it has A functioning backspace, like if you make a mistake, you can erase it from paper, which seems like something that shouldn't be possible. Because like, how do you, how do you erase it from paper? Right, like it's on paper, you can cover it up. No, they actually did this really complicated. Like it was chemistry. Like they, they made this very complicated. It's not even ink. It's I think film where it sticks to paper, sort of, not very eagerly, so you can remove it. Mm-hmm. And they had this whole like little back special backspace key. That's why it's called correcting selectric. That if you do it quickly enough, you can remove it, and it's pretty much gone from paper, especially if you type over it. So, so it's kind of, you know, it's obviously like a dead end, right? Like soon after that, computers took over, and keyboards went very different way. And you know, with computers, you don't have to worry about the backspace. It's almost the opposite. Like you. Like everything disappears if you're not paying attention, right? So backspace is almost like the easiest key um, to make, but it's like this correcting selectric to was just I like my mouth was open the whole time I was using
0: it. I was like how yeah, is this possible? Yeah, this it uh, is oh. very exciting. I think I, mean, I never thought about this being even possible or uh, like ever implemented. Uh, that's uh, that's unusual. Uh, do you think that for your work you could be imagining actually typing on that kind of typewriter, and then it's kind of in some way plugged into your computer, or would it be just uh, misuse of technology? No, no. It's uh, that's actually another beauty of this electric is that they, the
1: way it was built internally, and if you open, it's it's an incredibly complex device, right? It's it's um, it's it has it's it's so dense. Basically, back in the day, and. Um, the maintenance of IBM Selectric typewriters was a career. Like, they were both so popular and so complicated compared to regular typewriters that you could, like, literally spend your entire life fixing them if you wanted, and many people did. So, uh, but one of the other things that I didn't even mention is that Selectric inside, because of how that the keys have to be connected to the ball that rotates... uh, By the way, if anybody's listening, look up Selectric Ball Slow Motion on YouTube, and it's just like, that alone is a marvel of technology. But the way they connect it, it's actually through binary code. So people realize very quickly they could repurpose this typewriter to be a terminal. Like, back when display screens were incredibly expensive, a lot of people used Selectrics to interface with their computers, you know, because you could type, you can read, it's a command line, effectively. And then even IBM realized this and they released what they called Selectric I.O., which was just like a little bit more prepared <laughs> computer terminal. So on top of everything that I said, it also became this interface. It's sort of like missing link, not only typewriter keyboards to mechanical keyboards, but also, just sort of like between typewriters and computers in a way, right? It serves, it's sort of in a Venn diagram of that universe, electric serves both sides, which is like I always love those sort of transitional products.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. Th- that's incredible. But I mean, um, I think you have very strong opinions also about the butterfly keyboard than we had uh, on mic for a while, the issues we had there. Um, and I, I do have to ask, I really have to ask. So, what kind of keyboard do you use for work? Like you must have, it can't be a regular one, can it?
1: Um, well, okay, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> uh, it's So um, obviously I care about keyboards, but I'm not nearly as obsessed as, as a lot of people about mechanical keyboards, right? Like people who, you know, put keyboards together, like loop their switches. Like I've never went that far, um, but some of those people are in the book, uh, some of their stories. I have, let me see. And I, I think the way I talk about it can tell you how much, what is, what's important to me. So I have a Hex Gears Gemini, Gemini, which I had to look up because I actually forgot. Uh, but it's a T- TKL. Uh, so it doesn't have a numpad because I don't use it. Uh, it's a relatively modern keyboard. It has lights, but I don't use those lights. Uh, what's important to me is that I have this blank keycaps just i don't know makes me feel cool (laughs) Um, uh, but also they're in a in this shape of like old terminal keycaps from the 70s right Uh, right you know i think it's called sa or sap for those who know the jargon and that was important to me because it's sort of partly what i learned in my research for the book and i just like the shape and it sort of feels again like a A little bit from the past, a little bit from the future kind of situation. Right. right. So, and it has like, I don't know what switch people are going to cancel me for this. I don't remember what the switches are, but they're um, custom switch. Well, not common. They're not cherry. There's something, they're yellow. I can tell you that. Maybe, maybe some of the listeners can chime in. I I got them because they're quieter. Uh, They're linear and they're quieter for Zoom but I also like the way they feel. So it was
0: like partly functional and partly a necessity. Well, Martin, this is way more specific of an answer than I was expecting, but that's okay. But one one thing that you haven't answered yet, and that's something I do have to ask as well, is you must have tried the Dwarak keyboard or keyboard layout. Uh, or maybe by any chance you have a Turkish F keyboard. I don't know, or any of the, I don't even know how to pronounce them. G-C-U-K-E-N. And AZERTY or anything, anything of that kind, or is it? Are you just yeah, using a regular QWERTY one? So again, this
1: might be disappointing for people. I just use QWERTY. I actually don't touch type very well. I here's the funny thing. I touch type better with my left hand than with my right hand. I it's if you I just watch myself. I recorded myself because I was curious. Uh, it just happened. I just happened to learn that way, and you know that's kind of like a story of qwerty so yeah i typed i typed i have a dvorak typewriter somewhere i have a Turkish typewriter i i definitely type on you know a bunch of those layouts uh, uh as research right because it's it's interesting and it's it's interesting to watch your fingers kind of do all of these different motions um but i think like the reason why i use qwerty is i think the reason a lot of people use qwerty which is like it's just kind of good enough you know it 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 like, I was lucky that I never had any, like, issues with my, you know, wrists or forearms or, you know, what what, what some people call RSI, even though it's not, like, a proper term. Um, and so I I never needed to type a lot. I never needed to type very, very fast. Uh, and so I just, like, stopped at some point learning, and I just typed the way I type. And I think that's true for many people, right? And yeah, of course. It, QWERTY might be, like, disappointing too many people because we sort of like standardize on like a really bad thing but i i would argue it's not that bad in a way like it was definitely intentional uh, that we know uh it uh, it is universal which we cannot um like it, it, we have to respect that right the fact that i can use this qwerty keyboard and type um you know in chinese or japanese or uh, many other layouts, right? It's it, even if you switch it to A30 or 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 Kerkisch, it's just the same physical layout. I think there's something that actually helps us to some extent. And 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 you know, if you care about Dvorak and it's useful for you, or you know, many of those more modern layouts, or if you have to because you know your hands protest at QWERTY, like you can, right? Like that's the beauty of the of the kind of computer keyboards from the 80s and onward that you can switch it right? You no longer have to like, like Dvorak had to put it in a typewriter and sell it. And it was just a like, huge endeavor. Dvorak, the person, right? August Dvorak. Yeah, what? Um, um, you know, and that was hard at that point, right? In the thirties, right? Try to convince the typewriter manufacturers to like launch a whole new line of typewriters with your thing. Even though you, you know, you, you said you have like scientific proof that it's better. And I, I don't think that's actually true, but but today, you know, everybody and people do come up with their own layouts, and so I think I, I I admire a lot of that. But I also think, for example, the the kind of market failure of Qwerty has nothing. Sorry, of Dvorak. Of Dvorak. Yeah. Qwerty didn't fail
0: at all. Like, keeps. I think Qwerty is so, from what I can tell, from what I've heard yeah. recently, is quite successful.
1: Yeah, I mean th- that's kind of like the funny thing. Like you can grab the guy who put together the first QWERTY, right? Christopher Latham Scholes. Almost exactly 150 years ago, they released the first typewriter with QWERTY. And you could put him in front of the modern computer and he would know what to do. <laughs> right? It's the same thing. It's kind of like you could see it as very disappointing, but it's also kind of like an interesting success story, right? Um, but you know, I think the failure of Dvorak uh or at least the, the, the mass adoption of Dvorak and other layouts has really like nothing to do with the layout itself. It's, it's everything else that, that people like Dvorak didn't really maybe want to care about, which is marketing or storytelling or thinking about transitions. You know, like, again, like, the something I, like with Figma, right? How do you transition from one keyboard shortcut to the other one? It's a huge endeavor and it takes years. So imagine that, you know, 50 years after QWERTY was invented, right? That was already very, very hard. And I think those are the things that also matter and not just like the sort of scientific advantage that's proved by math of a certain layout, which, by the way, is also really, really hard to do. And I
0: don't right. think we know how to do that. Yeah. That's right. Well, as we are wrapping up here, I do have to ask one important question, of course. Um, now, today we've been learning a little bit about keyboards and we will now know that uh, even Marcin is using QRT, which is, I think, perfectly cool and all. Um, but I've been wondering also, what have you been learning about lately, Marcin? What keeps you awake at night? Are there any particular topics where you're diving in? Or maybe there is one particular keyboard that you're dreaming about, seeing or you know typing on one day do we have like this i don't know um this this magical magical thing that you desperately want to see or touch one day that's a great question
1: i you know so to answer in order i'm learning a lot of things like still for the book right you know i i was learning 3js for the website i'm learning a lot about printing and marketing now so not sure that's like super interesting i think for you know i the, the one thing that was hard about writing the book, and I think maybe every historian has that, is that there are the artifacts right like I actually typed on a first quality typewriter uh, uh, for a very brief moment, and it was really cool, right it was like kind of magical, um particularly that that it was just in a museum and like nobody told me that it was that. I just realized it was that it was like a like a great discovery um i I think I'm mostly sort of like, I wish I had a time machine to talk about some of those people and their decisions, right? Like, like people who made the first typewriter, people who made the Underwood number five, people who worked on the selectory, because it feels like, you know, there are no blog posts, there are no talks as much, there are some papers. Not very many. There are some patents, but they're not very useful. Like, I just kind of want some of those people on Twitter <laughs> talking about their process, right? So that's, I know that's not going to happen. And I think part of my book is like trying to pretend this could happen, tell their stories, right, for them. But I really wish I could like just chat over, you know, drinks or something with some of those people. Um, yeah, and if you want to tell me something that's completely, because the book is, you know, it turns out writing a book is like just all all consuming right it just like takes over your life and whether you want it or not so um for those who are considering it i would recommend it but beware (laughs) Uh, but i've been really like inspired there's this person on youtube called adam neely who's a Mm -hmm. i think a professional musician and it's just a very different world right like i obviously keyboards and music yes yes but i don't look at it like this um it's just he's this really good storyteller around this it's kind of like what i think i would want to be for my domain which is go nerdy on things in approachable ways and tell those stories about like you know how why do musicians need in-ear monitors which i never really thought about and it's like a lot about like propagation of sound and delays and exactly the kind of stuff you think of as designer or what's the difference between like c sharp and b which apparently there is or just pop culture stuff so it's like it's Adam Neely. Um, it's like really, really well done. He's a great storyteller and I don't know much about music, but I'm surprised how often it's like watching a TV show. It's like sometimes it goes over my head, but it's like always, you know, like you're watching a pro tell a really good story and that's like always entertaining.
0: Oh, that's, that's very cool. I, I would love to look, look that up. Because I didn't know why, uh, why artists actually bother uh, to plug in something into the ear they probably have a pretty good sound quality anyway right um, but now now i know um well if you dear listener would like to hear more from marcin you can find him on twitter where he is at m w i c h a r y which is mb Hari, or also on his homepage, aris luna i do have to ask you um marcin at this point aris luna i couldn't find the connection anywhere between you and Aris Luna, like, what is the connection? Where is the missing link here? Oh, yeah, that's, um. so it's actually all connected to the things we talked about.
1: So my, how, to t- how do I tell the story quickly? Um, my favorite writer of, in all time, is Stanisław Lem, the Polish writer who did a lot of sci-fi. And I, I think just, like, inspired me to write myself and, and, and to, inspired me to, like, think of language in, much more sort of creative and malleable and fun ways because he had so much fun with language and part of that was so i'm reading this book um and there's this one you know it's a future sci-fi kind of thing and one ship talks to the other ship and they say like titan 4 rs luna reporting to the starbase or something and it's not explained what it means right it's just the word RS Luna and and uh, so what lem was doing was uh, it turned out to be like word building it's like kind of he didn't explain something, but if you look at those words, it's like "RS" is Mars, "Luna" is Moon. So you can very quickly get, oh, they're f- flying between the Mars and Moon so often that they just have shortcut, right? They have jargon for that. So in this one word, you can like just like establish just like big part of storytelling. So I just kind of like that. I like the sound of it, and I also like that you know, like Mars is not like Moon at all. He also wrote about that. Um and it's fun. I don't know, it was just like this fun juxtaposition. And I, I don't know, it felt kind of like like important to me to acknowledge that. Um and yeah, if you haven't yeah, if you haven't read Stanislaw Lamb, he's amazing. Uh, you should
0: do that. Yeah. Uh well fortunately you don't have to go to Mars or to Moon in order to read about Marcin and also read his upcoming book. Uh, you can also find all the fine details um, obviously on Arisluna, which is arisluna.org. we're also going to link to it in the notes and you can also be notified about the book updates and it is really really beautiful and really incredible and highly recommended on and the title is unbelievable shift happens dot site which i think is a really really cool name for a book about keyboards well thank you so much for joining us today Marcin Do you have any parting words of wisdom for people who are going to listen to us maybe 20 years from now wondering why were they talking about keyboards? We don't even have keyboards anymore. We just speak to computers now. Oh, yeah, we'll have keyboards. We'll still be QWERTY around. Um, So are you sure we're going to have keyboards? (laughs) Yeah. QWERTY keyboards? So will it be like... uh, I don't know, touch slash trackpad slash whatever keyboard? You know, there will be more stuff, of course.
1: There will be voice. Uh, there will be, like, maybe some neural connections. But I think keyboards will be with us for a while because they're just, like, really good at what they do. Uh, for better or worse, QWERTY will be with us for the same amount of time, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so,
0: so in other words, you're saying that your book is probably going to stay up to date uh, for the next 150 years?
1: Uh, hopefully, um, as a maybe... Maybe historical artifact, maybe not. Um, Yeah, Uh, it's funny. I just realized, like, yeah, we never mentioned the title of the book, which is marketing uh, faux pas. Shift happens, yeah. Buy my book or uh, uh, do it on Kickstarter. But I'm joking. Like, I mean, you don't have to. I I would appreciate it. I think it's a fun book. I don't want to pitch it too hard. But yeah, I think my, like, the parting words of wisdom, quote unquote, is like, uh, yeah, this whole thing happened because I just, like, looked at the, everyday object that i thought is boring and i found it wasn't boring you know it really was not boring at all uh so i guess like i'm curious like for everybody who's listening like are there other things in your life that are worth like looking deeper into and checking out and 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 sort of poking at and seeing what happens because i think like that the journey of the book it's just we didn't even talk about how many really interesting people i got to learn um from and to interview and to talk about um, and and people for whom keyboards mean so much more than they ever did or will for me and so i think that would be my suggestion like if you if you go deep in something and see where it takes you this is smashing
2: and that was our podcast thank you very much for listening and if you liked it please share it with your friends
1: Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter
0: at smashingmag, smashing magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food.